is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You are Locked On Cavaliers, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Cavaliers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked On Cavaliers podcast, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast brought to you by Fear the Sword and the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, I'm Chris Manning, your host from Fear the Sword and the Step Back. Today, uh, we're recapping the Cavs' big win over the Boston Celtics, a 114-91 drubbing uh, in a game that I think will decide the number one seed of the Eastern Conference. Joining me to talk about the game is Mike Zevangano from Fear the Sword. Mike, how's it going? Oh, it's going great tonight. That was uh, quite the win. Yeah. Um. I. I mean. I. I don't. I can't. Th- I could. I can't think of like a lot of great verbs to describe this game, but I feel like you could come up with a number of fun verbs, whether it's drubbing, bludgeoning, dis- destroying, like whatever verb you want. I think that would aptly describe the game that we watched. Yeah, I mean, it was basically um, all those things wrapped into one. Uh, the Cavs, you know, obviously second night of a back-to-back, third and four nights, no Tristan Thompson. Celtics had talked up the game, and none of it really mattered tonight because uh, you got as close to playoff LeBron as you're probably going to see in the regular season. Yeah, I feel like this is the the last time we're going to see that LeBron until uh, the until the postseason. I mean, I, I, I as much as he, you know, he had that quote that I played at the end of the show. Uh, yesterday, he had that quote where he was downplaying the game. I, I, you could tell that he wanted to make a statement in this game, and I do think this was a statement game for the Cavaliers. Um, they, that first quarter was not pretty. Isaiah Thomas was the best player on the court during that first quarter at 12 points. Boston leads by one, and then the Cavs just destroyed Boston the rest of the way. Um, out to score them 22 to four while Thomas sat in the second quarter, got the lead up to 29 points in the third quarter, and then left. I I, I think a move that I think drew some annoyed some people on Twitter. Lou left the every all the the good players in the quote unquote good players in a little bit longer than Boston took after Boston took theirs out. I think just as a sign of like yeah like we're here, we're better than you. And I think this was a statement game, more so than the cat. I, I think more so than like the seating. I think this was like a statement game for the Caps in the sense that they're like saying we're really, really good. Um, more so than like, yeah, we, we want the number one seed. That's my read on it from from being around them a little bit and just watching how they played. Yeah, I think that, like you said, it, it really changed when the Cavs came out of uh, the first quarter break with LeBron at center. Um, I think that over the course of the season, you've seen LeBron play harder. 
uh, when he's playing as as the center in those lineups, I think just because he understands that he needs to give a little bit more, um, do a little bit more on the defensive end uh, when he's the only real rim protector on the floor. And I think tonight was probably that times maybe two or two and a half. And he basically came out to start that second quarter was you know flying around on both ends he had that absurd volleyball block on Marcus Smart where he basically could have caught the ball in the air and then he was dapping up fans in the stands um and you know that lineup was was really the turning point I think for the Cavs energy and effort in this game where they basically just you know came out and put the pedal to the floor and really didn't stop from there and you you really saw LeBron kind of turn it up a notch on on both ends and you know, with LeBron at center, four shooters spaced around him, he really does, you know, kind of have his way because he's put on an island with a bunch of guys and one-on-one matchups. And as soon as he beats that guy, the Celtics weren't even, you know, trying to send help at, at the at the rim. They basically had three or four possessions where essentially LeBron walked down Broadway and was just dunking all over them. So really good to see from LeBron in, ter- in terms of his effort. And like you said, you probably won't see that again until – April 15th or 16th or whenever they start up the playoffs. But, you know, anybody who was uh, kind of questioning whether or not the, the switch was there, uh, I think it's pretty clear that at least he does have that. <clears throat> the Cavs Twitter account itself actually tweeted the switch is flipped when they tweeted their post-game graphic, which I thought which I thought was pretty funny uh, by the, Cav- the, the Cavs' Twitter people. Um, I mean, I, one thing I, I think that's worth noting about this game, too, as a small thing is we saw – Channing Frye starts this game in place of the injured Tristan Thompson. We're going to talk about Thompson injury later if you're here for that analysis. But when he's on the floor, a, I, as you tweet about all the time, he has played a lot better of late. And he provides so much spacing that LeBron can just kind of drive and do a lot of things because teams have to respect him. Teams have to pay attention to him. And I like the Cavs, at least they've done this a little bit recently, did this tonight because they had to. Um, they played very small. They played with that, and they played with that Kevin Love, Channing Frye duo up front, and I do like when they do that, just because it torched Atlanta in the playoffs last year, and it gives them so much spacing at all times. And like Tristan's super important, Tristan is is vital to this team's title chances. But the fact that they can go to that other super spacey, super flowy, but based on very simple pick and roll, pick and pop action, to me is a, is a very frightening thing for other teams when the Cavs are going full go, because those things are really hard to stop, even if they're very simple. Yeah, and the Cavs still dominated the Celtics on the offensive glass tonight. They came away with 13 offensive rebounds. Kevin Love had 16 rebounds of his own, and you know that's obviously one of the Celtics' biggest problems. People were saying that the absence of Tristan Thompson might mitigate that problem, and that clearly was not the case. The Cavs definitely made a point to cross uh, crash the offensive glass, and you know the Celtics really just don't have any answers on that end um you know in terms of guys who are really just going to clear the defensive glass Al Horford has always struggled with that against the Cavs he I think he continues to do that regardless of what color he's wearing and you know the Cavs even when they weren't shooting well in the first quarter they still were playing decent because they just were creating so many extra possessions for themselves and you know we've kind of seen that a little bit lately with other teams creating extra possessions against the Cavs. So it was nice to kind of see the flip side of that tonight against Boston. Yeah, I, I think that 
That's for sure. I mean, if you're getting tip dunked on by Tris, uh, by Channing Fry, excuse me, you just have to retire at like, that. Point. You're done. Like that's that's you got to throw in the towel. You got to sub everybody out. Like if that happens, that's not a bad thing. Um, Engaging the Cavs. Yeah, like really, like it, it. That's a problem. Um, what what else for you stood out in this game? Is there anything? I mean, like I think there's like a lot of little things to me that are interesting. I don't know of anything other to me than that. This is a reminder that the Cavs are a better team than the Boston Celtics comes out of this game. Like I think there are little things that add up. Sort of conversely to my theory about why if the Cavs lose, it's going to be because of a lot of little things accumulating. I think there's a lot of things in this game that, to me, indicate that Boston's going to have a really hard time against the Cavs if this matchup happens. Yeah, I guess one of the things that you can look at, I mean, at least for Boston in the playoffs, is that teams can basically go to one of the two extremes with Isaiah Thomas, whether it's let him kind of do his thing and take literally everyone else away or tried to take him away and make everybody else beat you. And it looks like the Cavs were kind of on, on the first option there tonight. Isaiah Thomas was fairly decent. He had 26 points. He struggled from three. He was only one of eight. But he was getting into the lane, getting some of those foul calls that he gets that are questionable at times. And the Cavs really shut down basically every other guy. I mean, the rest of the Celtics shot terribly from the field. They weren't really making things happen. And a lot of it, I think, comes down to, you know, the Celtics are end up playing, whether it's Amir Johnson and, and Al Horford together, that allows other teams to be a bit more aggressive when they're playing against that pick and roll because you have a non-shooter on the floor, so it's really easy to kind of recover, whether you're blitzing that or you're hedging it hard. And then every time the ball ends up in Marcus Smart's hands and he's taking a three-pointer, I just kind of relax. I mean... There's just nothing that's going to make me think that he's going to knock down those shots. He's going to be right around 15% since March 1st, uh, following tonight's poor shooting performance from beyond the arc. And I just don't see that changing as they enter the playoffs. Yeah, I 100% agree with that, too. Marcus Smart was really, really bad in this game. And if it wasn't for Amon Shumpert playing just terribly, which is, like for me, like the one downside of this game for the Cavs is just that Shump was, again, really, really bad on both ends of the floor. Uh, I thought he was the worst player on the floor for a large part of this game. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know what you can say at this point. I mean, it, I don't know if it's because Tristan Thompson wasn't healthy and therefore you lose a guy in the rotation and Shump continues to get minutes. He continues to be the first sub off the bench uh, ahead of Kyle Korver or Richard Jefferson. I, I Like I said, I mean, I hope that it changes in the playoffs. I just don't really have much confidence that Ty Lue is going to make that change. I don't, I don't know. Really so, frustrating. Yeah, so it's interesting because one thing about that that I, I, he has said that he, he doesn't like having J.R. Smith guard other point guards. That's not something he likes to do, he do and he doesn't like – Corver obviously just kind of can't do it. Um, Corver doesn't, you know, move super well. He's not quick enough to defend a guy like Thomas or John Wall or something like that. And he's a lot, like, bulkier than you might, you would guess by looking at how he plays. Like, he's actually a pretty kind of sturdy, bigger guy, um, in person. With Sean, with, I wonder if that's just, like, they don't want to have JR do that now. Like, I wonder if it's something where they're not going to, they would want maybe have JR defend an Isaiah in the playoffs, um, when he's, you know, his energy tanks back and you can push him more and you're willing to push him more. And then maybe that's when Shumper gets marginalized. That's kind of my pet theory right now. Um, but they, I mean, I think Lou also does like Shepard to an extent. Like, I, I don't yeah. think he's, I don't think he's quite as down on, on him as a lot of us are. 
He has to, because there's no other explanation. I mean, I think that the idea that Chumpert is a plus defender just continues to be a myth. Yeah, his, I mean, like, if you whatever metric you want to look at, like, he's not particularly rated well. Like, RPM doesn't view him very well. Um, I'm going to look, I'm gonna, as, you're, as you talk, I'm going to look up his on-off off, on, off numbers real quick. I mean, the, the eye test doesn't review him well either, whether it's getting beat back door whether it's just not he doesn't like to you know get through screens i have this theory that he just hates contact i think it's why he does it on the offensive end where he just like flails and throws his head backwards violently every time he's touched try to get foul calls and so that leads to him just doing everything that he possibly can to literally avoid getting screened at any time it just puts him out of position so often and it's just visibly clear that he is the worst player on the floor whenever he catches the ball on offense he has a tendency to dribble back into the defense so if the ball comes from his left he somehow instead of going right he just goes left again and he dribbles right into the teeth of the defense he ends up with that weird travel turnover offensive foul thing that happens at least once a game I, I don't I don't know it just it doesn't make any sense to me why he continues to get the the minutes that he does and like you said I, I hope that it changes in the playoffs I just don't have any confidence that Ty Lu feels the way that most people seem to feel at this point yeah uh he he had a lot of things like Isaiah just beat him and that was that I think that was pretty problematic I will know too I want to I tweeted something about Kevin Love let, giving up his Al Horford uh, three. I want to just say like I people tweeted like a clip of the the screen cap at me, because you know they got kind of mad at me I guess. But uh, it was actually Kyrie like died on the screen. I think you saw a little bit of that tonight too. Like when Isaiah got going, I think you saw moments where Kyrie either died on screens like that and gave Isaiah a lot of room. And then there was two instances to me that stood out where he really made Isaiah work. There was a uh, three that Isaiah took where they were coming down the floor and Kyrie had backed off him just a little bit and then Isaiah was clearly going to pull up so Kyrie read it correctly and then put his hand up and Isaiah knew he was going to miss and rush and then the Cavs got the rebound and then there was that it was like the first pick and roll of the game and Isaiah had a very good first quarter but the Cavs because Amir Johnson is not a shooter and they ran the Isaiah Amir pick and roll the Cavs just basically said okay Isaiah you have to see over us to do something um, and, and that to me is really interesting because Amir Johnson is like, he's not like a great rebounder, but he is like with their probably Boston's best rebounder. Like he's their best rebounding big. They need him as a good, to be a good rebounding team. They, they're going to be a lot worse when Jarefko or Kelly Olenek's playing. The Cavs could not, I mean, you could do Horford and it's harder to pull that sort of, uh, crowd Thomas because Horford can make you pay because he's such a good passer, such a good shooter. But if it, it makes me wonder if Boston might have to do something where, uh, they can't. They have to avoid using Amir in the playoffs, or they have to maybe play Olenek and or Jarebko more, just and sacrifice the rebounding and hope that the Isaiah gets more room because it'll be harder to crowd Isaiah in that way if you have a big who can shoot. Yeah, unless you kind of bring up a third guy as like an outlet on that, it makes it kind of difficult. And I don't know. I mean, it's going to be interesting. the The way that things are trending now, it, it might be uh, a Bulls uh, Celtics first round series. Um, just, you know, the Bulls have that easy schedule going in. They could potentially get up to six and Atlanta could drop to seven because they have to play the Cavs and the Celtics still. But, you know, I think if the Bulls end up playing the, uh, the Celtics in the first round, you, you're probably going to see Jimmy Butler on a Thomas a good amount. And like you said, that's just going to contribute to that crowding of him and, you know, taking away his space because Jimmy Butler is almost a foot taller than him. Yeah. Like, even Kyrie is, like, not a, like, a huge mammoth point guard or anything like that. 
but he like lords himself over Thomas in those situations. Yeah, and you can tell that Kyrie uh, wants to get down onto the block too uh, when Isaiah is guarding him, and it was successful at times tonight. Uh, I think Isaiah shumped him as the Cavs broadcast likes to say once when he tried to make a move over uh, his left shoulder from the right block. But, you know, Kyrie definitely sees Isaiah Thomas on him and wants to go to work. Yeah. hundred percent on that. Um, what did, what did you make of the, the Cavs keeping everybody in for that long? Would you have pulled guys out sooner? Would you have at least like just thrown in like a Derek Williams or something like that? What would you have done? Um, not, I don't know. I mean, it's like the the Lance Stevenson shooting a layup thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, guys in, like, yeah, whatever. I mean, you know, who knows? They might not see the Celtics again this year. They might, but you know, they want to make a statement. That's fine with me. If if they want to play Derek Williams and DeAndre Liggins less, so my mentions are are less uh, full of cat telling me how good they are. That's fine with me too. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I, I think like it's over. I think like they're not even playing that hard at that point. So you know, uh, I I think we get hyper like a little hyperbolic or if that's even how you pronounce it on Twitter uh, about different things. And I think you you see those those kind of things become a bigger deal than they maybe need to be. Um, I I mean and I kind of I the visual of them getting pulled out and like just stomping on the Celtics was kind of like a a, a visual cap to that game I thought, which was sort of interesting. Um, yeah, I mean. I don't even know. One of, one yeah. of my roommates who number 55 was and why he was guarding Kevin Love. And I was just like, eh, you know, the Cavs are, Cavs are going to keep their guys in for, for another minute, it looks like, and uh, make sure that they really cap this one off. Yeah. Uh, any, anything else from this game stand out to you? Because I, I think, like, again, like, there there are little things. there, are, But it was just, to me, evidently clear that the Cavs, even without their starting center, <laughs> just, just like beat the crap out of the Celtics, and like I don't, I don't know if Boston has like a lot of maneuvers to actually uh, thing. And like I think like a, a loss for Boston here is like a lot more of a detrimental loss in terms of the optics and the the, the faith in them than it would have been for the Cavs. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've been riding the uh, the Cavs will not see the Celtics again this season train. I think I'm still on that train. Toronto looked pretty solid tonight. Um, Kyle Lowry coming back. He had 27 and 10. Um, I think Toronto um, saw that the Cavs were winning at halftime and decided to play a little harder. It looks like they're kind of uh, trying to mirror whatever happens to the Celtics as opposed to seeing the Cavs in the second round. And I think that Toronto's defense has been excellent since uh, they traded for P.J. Tucker and Serge Ibaka. Obviously, working Lowry back in is something that, you know, you're going to want to see from them. But I, I think that that's probably uh, the most dangerous team and one that matches up fairly well with uh, their defenders against the Celtics if that is the second-round matchup. Yeah, I, I tweeted tonight that Kyle Lowry get coming back, and this is like before he was really clutch for Toronto, that that was the most impactful thing that happened today in the Eastern Conference. And I stand by that. I stand by that, that, pre-game, that pregame take. Because uh, I was, like, getting, like, people, like, seeing tweets and, like, no offense to, like, people, but, like, saying, oh, the Cavs worried because they're playing people. I'm, like, that to me was, like, a dumb, that was a dumb read. Like, I, I don't mean to be, like, super, like, annoyed by that because I, like, whatever, but, like, it's just, that to me isn't, like, the right read on what where the Cavs are at. Like, I think if you're talking about, like, them being frustrated coming into this game, it was just by virtue of them having not played that well of late. And really kind of just wanting to get things rolling in the right direction. To me, that was bigger than, like, them actually being worried about seeding. Because I, I don't think they care about seeding. 
Alright, so the Cavs, uh, per 538, now have an 87% chance of winning the number one seed in the East. Uh, that was not the case before this game. You also had, uh, now per friend of the pod, Chris Herring, he tweeted this back at me when I retweeted the link, uh, that Boston, Toronto, and Washington all had a higher chance of winning the title per 538's formula, the Carmelo formula, Melo formula, uh, coming into the game. That, that immediately flips because the Cavs win. I mean, that, I mean, I got some angry tweets about this. That's certainly a different thing now because uh, you prognosticating and like myself prognosticating factually uh, is going to be a little bit different than the that statistical model. But uh, Mike, does the Cavs having the number one seed in your mind actually impact what you think of them in any way, shape, or form? No, not at all. I mean, I was kind of thinking that they should be uh, keeping maybe a half of an eye. I don't even know how much to, to value this at, but just uh, at what the bottom of the East was looking like, uh, just in case they wanted to think about their positioning. I, I personally think that they would rather see a team like a, like an Atlanta or, or a Chicago as opposed to an Indiana. Uh, I know that we've well, we have well chronicled the struggles that the Cavs have had historically at Bankers Life Fieldhouse. Obviously, Paul George and LeBron is quite the matchup. I'm, I'm not entirely sure that, you know, it would go anything more than, than five games, but I think that those would be some uh, hard-fought games, um, and that might be something that the Cavs, you know, could keep, like I said, maybe half an eye on. I don't even know how to describe it, really. But other than that, no, I don't think that it matters whatsoever. I mean, I like I said, I don't think that Boston's going to be the team that's obviously uh, going to be waiting at the end of the tunnel. So I think that whether one or two, you'd probably still end up having that uh, home court for the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, I, I think they're going to be there. And I don't. I think I would have picked them to get out of the East anyway. Like I, I don't think that's a particularly shocking revelation. I, I think tonight is just like it was kind of like a good reminder of what the Cavs are capable of. Uh, I thought we saw that on in the third quarter of, of the game on Tuesday when they played Orlando and just went on that really long run, notably without Amon Shumpert. And I think tonight from the second quarter on um, was a reminder of how good this team can be and how many different ways that it can utterly just kind of destroy you. Um, I mean, I, I, I just can't – this game to me was just kind of the – if the Cavs are going to win this game, like this was sort of the perfect way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that – Basically, all of the the weaknesses that Boston has, combined with all of the strengths that the Cavs have, rolled up into one. And you just see an utterly dominant performance like we had this evening. Yeah, so let's now just quickly talk about that Tristan Thompson thumb injury. Uh, so he's going to be out. He was out Wednesday. He's going to be out Friday against Atlanta. They're going to reevaluate him. Um, it's also worth noting that he also does have that that sore knee that he's been dealing with for a while now. It's possible he will return Sunday against the Hawks or perhaps Monday in Miami. Could be. I mean, I I, th- I would expect him based on right now. This isn't as serious as a J.R. Smith thumb injury. Um, this is you know he the original test was negative anyway, so it wasn't like he had a, it. It got really bad right away. I'm of the opinion that this is actually a blessing in disguise for the Cavs. He has looked tired lately. He has looked worn down. I think his knee needs rest. I just think functionally he does. And I know he's really bummed about that game streak ending, but it's still a franchise record. I, I think this is functionally just sort of better, and that sounds really weird to say because you never want a guy to actually get hurt in any way. But, like, Tristan kind of needs rest, and this is probably the only way they're going to get him, you know, what will ultimately end up being maybe five, six days off. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Um, I've been well – 
firmly planted on the Tristan needs rest bandwagon. I think that his play has shown that he's definitely tired and this could probably, as long as it's, you know, we're obviously operating under the assumption that it's not an extremely serious injury and not one that's going to change his fate in the playoffs. Um, And as long as that's the case, I honestly wouldn't be angry if the Cavs sat him until the playoffs started. I don't think that he really has anything to, to prove um, from here on in, I think that with that knee that you talked about, he you know could use the extra rest. Now that the game streak is over, there's no real reason for him to, to play. Um, maybe come back for the last game of the season or something like that if he wants to get work back in. But it could end up being a blessing in disguise for the long run for him to get off that knee, give it some rest, hope that the tendonitis feels a little bit better and you know get geared up for the stretch run. Yeah, actually, that Wednesday game now is going to be kind of interesting because Lowry's back. He's obviously, I think, probably going to play through the rest of the regular season, I would imagine, just because they, the Raptors should want to get him reps, you know? Like, that's even make sense. The Cavs could have the number one seed basically locked up by the that season finale and not need to play anybody, but it is the home finale as well. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of intrigued to see what they might do with that. That, to me, is kind of interesting. Yeah, it- I don't know. It's tough. Like you said, I mean, they never rest at home, basically, right? And no, that's just they, not which, their which, thing. I, which I understand. Like, I can understand wanting to uh, cater to your fan base and stuff like that. Yeah. Especially with it being the last home game. You know, that's obviously going to be a fan appreciation of sorts. Right. Uh, I mean, they'll probably want yeah. to play in front of the home crowd, you know, one last time before the playoffs get in here. Yeah. And like I mean like no I mean no offense to like Kay Felder and like James Jones and stuff but like guys you don't go on fan appreciation day to like watch them play like and that that's like functionally like part of it. that shouldn't really factor into the Cavs' decision you know like I don't think it should but like it, it is something that is sort of a reality of that situation. I don't go to fan appreciation day to watch him on Shumpert play but I think he's playing <laughs> either instance. Yeah yeah you're gonna get like forty minutes of Shump he's gonna shoot like forty times. Uh, it, I, there was like a really, like, I don't mean to keep bragging on him, but like there was a moment where Hubie and I love Hubie Brown was talking about how Shumpert's having like a good shooting year. And so like, I looked up his, I went in like to his best reference page just cause I, I do this like probably too much. And he's like, and like by, by his standards, it's like a good shooting year, you know, like it's like a, a good a career sh- high, like 41%. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like it, it, but it's just like a functionally just like. It's not good. Like, it's like it's just like overall bad. Like, if if this was like a normal, like if we're talking about like just functional shooting guard, um, players like numbers, like it's bad. Like it's just functionally bad. So like I, I just three and D. Yeah, three and three and D, which which he's like not really either. I mean, if if forty if forty one percent from the field, thirty seven percent from three, I guess is like okay. Uh, is and with a true shooting percentage, um. Uh, where's he at here? Fifty-four. Yeah, fifty-four. Yeah, fifty-four percent. Uh, if that's like your your good shooting year, like I, I don't know, I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> Just remember when he was once compared to Jimmy Butler. Yeah, uh, Jason Pat, friend of the pod, Jason Pat, uh, Bulls J tweeted that, and I was just, I just, I don't know. He, I mean, his effective field goal percentage is about fifty percent for the first time in his career. So, I mean. Things are looking up. Yeah, here we go. Von Trump returning the corner at age twenty-six. Um, let's think with the, with this Tristan Thompson injury. Uh, the Cavs did recall Larry Sanders. He only played in garbage time. 
He's played well in Canton. Uh, the Charge loss against Raptors 905 in a very physical D-League game. Uh, Kay Felder had over 30 points in that game, 12 assists, 5 turnovers. The Charge may only have one game left. It would be on the 7th, if I'm not mistaken. I believe, uh, be the, I believe, oh, no, sorry, Saturday the 8th, I believe, is the game. Uh, it's either Friday or Saturday. There may only be one Canton Charge game left because the Raptors 905 are really, really good. Uh, at the D League level, they have like a lot of like good pl- like guys that I think could be NBA players, and they're coached by Jerry Stackhouse. If the Cavs want to get Sanders more reps, I almost think like maybe just like seeing how he does against Atlanta is like not a bad way to do it, and you just don't play him when Dwight Howard plays. You are the uh, can charge guy. I I am not. I I've watch. Not I'm, been, I'm a uh... sicko. Like I mean, I'm kind of a sicko. <laughs> I watch. I've not I'm been watching them. They're like, I could say that. I will say this: like, daily games are kind of. I think they're fun. Like, I think like, it's like it's not like the prettiest thing all the time. And you're definitely gonna see like teams that are you're just like will watch and like there's, there's not always like good prospects in every team. Like I went and covered a charge game where they played the Windy City Bulls, and there was just like guys. I'm just like, how are the how is how are some of these guys like professional? Did you get to see campaign? I did not. I was really upset because uh, it would have been the campaign. <laughs> It would have been like the can, and I didn't even get to see Quinn Cook because he got signed by the Pelicans like right before the game. But so I mean, good for him. But um, like, it's really interesting because it's like it's like more NBA basketball than college basketball. But there's still like a lot of just like stuff that like it's sort of junkish if it was an NBA. Um, but Sanders like at that game speed going against guys like he went against the Plumley last week against um, Maurice Andor, who plays for the Knicks and it was assigned the time with the Westchester Knicks. Uh, he's played against. Other guys, he's practiced with Eric Moreland. Like, he's looked good in those games. I kind of think it maybe is just time to, like, just see what he can do against, like, a backup NBA big. Uh, and I think, like, if it's Atlanta, again, just don't play him against Dwight Howard. Yeah, I thought he was going to get his uh, first bucket tonight. He got that O board. And he just, you know, short-armed that uh, right-handed layup from the left side and, and, and missed it backboard rim. But... Yeah, I mean, you, you might not be wrong. I don't really have much confidence in uh, him really giving them anything this year. I, I hope that he can give them something next year. But it's it could be worth just, you know, running him out there, especially if they're going to rest some guys or rest all guys or whatever they're doing. I, I don't really know how, you know, they're going to proceed going forward with their rest situation. But it, it's it's not the worst idea in the world um, to to at least try to see what he looks like in potential game minutes. Um, I, I don't really know if that will translate to the playoffs, but he, he, who knows, right? I mean, he yeah. could look good. It's possible. Yeah. yeah, I mean, my whole, my thing is like I think if you're gonna if you're at this point where Tristan's not gonna play, um, they kept chaining Fry's minutes down to 17 against Boston, which is pretty low for a starter. You know, every other starter played at least 31 minutes in this game. Uh, Love played 32. They played small quite a bit. I mean, that's why Shumpert played 28 minutes, you know? Like, he played nine more minutes than Corver, which is, like, kind of kind of like... I mean, he played in garbage time, so, like, functionally, it's, like, four more. But, like, you're going to... I don't know if you can always, like, play those guys like that. And I think if you want to rest guys, Sanders is kind of your only option unless you want to play Derek Williams um, at center and just say, screw it, you know? Like, I think that those are sort of your two plays there if you don't have, have Thompson. Yeah, no, I mean, they're not going to be able to I, – I don't think it's necessarily the smartest thing even to continue to go small in some of these games down the stretch. I mean, it just puts a lot of wear and tear on some of the guys. And 
I, I would be advocating for rest at this point, uh, at least in one of these Atlanta games. So it's going to be interesting to see how they manage the, the last four games of the season, given uh, the, you know, 87% probability at the one seed and, you know, whatever happens to Boston, but they, they definitely still have a, a few games to manage and a few games to make decisions in, especially if we're thinking that they're going to play that game against Toronto, uh, you know, full go. So It'll be interesting uh, what what they do down the stretch here, and hopefully, you know, they they keep talking like they want to continue building. LeBron, after a game, talked about how well they've been playing in April, how they want to continue building on what they've done the past four games. So maybe they do want to, you know, play them all, but I would assume that at least one of them will be lost to rest. I don't, I don't know. I think if you're going to look at a rest game Monday against Miami, it makes the most sense. Um, it's second half of back-to-back. It's... Uh... It's just a lot of things, and if the season ended today, the Cavs would actually play the Heat, and that's yeah, that's and totally in flux because the the Bulls are you know have the same record as Miami, the Pacers have the same record as Miami, and the Hawks are only a game and a half up. Um, so like it's sort of in flux, but you could potentially play Miami in the first round, and uh, that that is what it is. Yeah, the, the, the Heat winning is definitely it definitely not the worst thing. Um, granted that the Bulls literally have the easiest schedule in the entire world. their last five games of the season but i'm sure that you know the heat making it say over like the pacers would be uh, a positive result i would assume yeah Uh, mike thank you so much for hopping on to do this we're gonna again do a lot more of these shows in the playoffs uh before we let you go i just want to i want to ask one last question Uh, i'm just kind of curious and i i may have asked you this before i can't remember but i'm just gonna ask again anyway if you look at that that clustered part of the bottom of the east um is there like a team you would not want to play? Like, is there a team that, or a team that you just think would be good to play? How, how would you kind of like seeing that shake out? Considering there's sort of four candidates right now. I'd rather not play the Pacers, I guess. If we're going to make, you know, whatever our ideal situation would be, I just think that the, the Cavs don't really seem to enjoy playing uh, in Indiana for whatever reason. It always seems to be a monkey that the Cavs have to deal with. Generally, the Pacers are a good home team. I think they're even better against the Cavs there. And, you know, that Paul George-LeBron matchup, um, you know, would be fun television, but not really one that you necessarily want to see LeBron have to, you know, go 110% against Paul George in the in the opening round of the playoffs. So uh, I think that the Pacers would probably be, if I was picking amongst those four, the one that I would want to avoid. Uh, granted, the Indians have, have – or not the Indians, the Cavs have – played well against the Hawks in, in the past and obviously the Bulls swept them 4-0 in the regular season but uh, I'm not sure how many of the games will be on TNT so <laughs> I, I just think that if uh, yeah. if push comes to shove I would have I would like to avoid the Pacers but I'm not entirely sure that it matters yeah. all yeah, that the Cavs much. are playing if the Cavs and Bulls are playing on TNT like we, we might need to get we might need to get worried especially if it's on Thursday on a Thursday <laughs> Might have to really get worried about that first round matchup more than we would the other ones. Um, all joking aside, thanks, thanks, Mike, for coming on, uh, listeners. Tomorrow we will have another show. We're gonna look ahead at the the Atlanta Hawks uh, with Brad Rowland from Lockdown Hawks and Peachtree Hoops. We're gonna talk about the possibility of that being a first round matchup and the two games this weekend, um, and probably just end up talking about a bunch of random NBA stuff because that's what Brad and I end up doing because. Uh, it's hard to like talk a lot about Cavs Celtics or Cavs Cavs Hawks, excuse me. But uh, for myself, for Mike Zavagano, for Fear the Sword, this has been Locked On Cavs. Cavs again beat the Boston Celtics and took claim of the number one seed on a Wednesday night. We'll be back tomorrow. Talk to you soon.
Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.